0: Well, Captain Chavez just confirmed it Demona was a decoy Thieves took the mirror while we were chasing her around the park
1: I should have expected such deviousness from her
0: So, how bad is this? What can she do with an antique mirror?
1: It's not just a mirror, lass It's Titania's mirror Titania, queen of the third race Third race? You know, gargoyles, humans, and Oberon's children I thought everybody knew this
2: Yeah, that guy Shakespeare wrote a play about them, A Midsummer Night's Dream.
1: Scotsmen called them the Fair Folk. The Vikings called them Dark Elves. They are changelings, shapeshifters, creatures of pure magic. And their possessions, like the mirror, are vessels of great power.
2: (laughs) Wait,
0: wait, wait. Shapeshifters, elves, fairies? You mean they're real?
1: As real as I am, if the stories be true. Is this how you welcome all of your guests?
2: Happy New Year. Welcome
1: back to Who and Company. It's episode 59. I'm Drew. And I'm Brent. Our guest this month is synonymous with the Doctor Who podcasting scene. Chip Suttereth, the two-minute Time Lord himself, joins the company to tell us about his discovery and rediscovery of Doctor Who and his podcasting origin story. And then the sun
2: goes down and we get to talk about Chip's pick of the month, Disney's original animated series, gargoyles why it's worth disney plus's price of admission its appeal in the 90s and how it
1: holds up today and all that's coming up right after this lisa you home
0: is that you broadway i was in the neighborhood make yourself comfortable i'll throw on a couple of steaks
2: <laughs> thanks
1: Let's go, Pilgrim, and don't forget the horse. Sorry, my fault. I was playing with the gun. Stupid of me, hope I didn't break anything. Elisa?
2: Our this Month is no stranger to fans of podcasting and Doctor Who alike. His contributions to fandom include The Expanse cast, a Legitimate Salvage, This Week in Time Travel, and The Two-Minute Time Lord, as well as numerous podcasting guest appearances, not least of which is today's episode. Chip Suttereth, welcome to Who and Company. Howdy, Drew. Howdy, Bryn. Hello. How's it going? I am vertical.
0: Uh, well, not vertical <laughs> right now. I'm, I'm seated. But uh, most days I'm vertical,
2: and I'll take that as a win. You know what? In this day and age, the last two years, that certainly is big business as far as health is concerned. Um, one of the things that we've been doing for the last two years, man, I hate having to say that, uh, is just checking in to see how everyone's doing with the whole pandemic. Uh, I know it's, we're not so much lockdown as we were six months ago or so. People have starting to go back, and now we're coming back to back. Uh, how are you holding up with everything? I'm holding up pretty well, I think all things considered you know um,
0: I feel bad for people who do not have loved ones at home that they could quarantine or isolate with or, or deal with lockdown in back back in the beginning but the around around the summer just before the delta wave hit uh when vaccinations were taking hold i had the opportunity to reconnect in person with a bunch of my doctor who friends in new york and that almost saved me you know um being able to physically reconnect with people who've meant so much to me over uh over the years um this is this is hard stuff i work my day job involves um a lot of uh, COVID-related uh, stuff uh, in terms of just sort of public policy and public confidence and public communication and things like that. Um, so it's a lot. Doctor Who has been a refuge for me um, and uh, talking with people and typing about it online has also been that kind of a refuge for me. It's kept me going.
2: Yeah, agreed. Um, this is This is weird to say but i i sometimes forget what people look like in three dimensions uh because so much of my social circle is now on zoom and uh getting a chance a couple weeks months back to go to a a doctor who convention was just weird it was just weird it was great but it was weird because i kind of forgot how people looked from different angles well i i i assure you too i'm 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 i'm
0: just as two-dimensional in person <laughs> as I am on a screen.
1: Uh, we're doing okay. Uh, we just had our Christmas uh, with both sides of the family. and But, some people were not there. My cousin's wife uh, just got COVID. And his brother and his wife also got COVID. Um, but none of them were vaccinated either. So... Uh, What are you going to (laughs) do? But I know they're, they're, they're doing fine though. They, they, um, they didn't get it really bad. So they're, they're okay. That's good. Good to hear.
2: You know, uh, as we're recording this, Christmas is a couple of days ago. New Year's is a couple of days from now. And um, yeah. So over the break, I got to see both my family, one side of my family. And I get to see my wife's family. Of course we did so social distancing. We did so outside. We did so masked because I just don't want to take any chances. Not, not that I'm worried about them giving anything to me, because they have been more reclusive than I have, um, but I definitely didn't want to give anything to them. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just tough all around, but we're making our way through it, and uh, at least we have uh, each other and Doctor Who to talk about. So let's talk about some Doctor Who. I asked, Chip, before we started, I, I asked you this. Are you sick of talking about Flux yet? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs>
1: no how about you uh, brent
2: you sick of talking about Flux yet
1: ah uh, well <laughs> as long as we have someone new to talk about it with it's always okay i just feel like i mean it's been really nice
2: because this has been that topic of conversation in the same way that you know for the next 20 years we don't have to worry about icebreakers in in outside of the the doctor who community we can go so what did you do during the pandemic that's go we've got it. That's it. That's, that's our icebreaker for probably the next decade or so. It's just so nice to have Dr. Who to just talk about. Um, I just thought maybe we could just quickly, now that it's, we've had a little bit of time to step back from it. Um, I'm just kind of, you know, quick thoughts, what we're, what we're all thinking about it. I haven't heard yours chip. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what you thought of, of it as a, as an experience as a whole individually, whatnot.
0: Yeah, I called it on the podcast, Two Minute Time Lord, I called it eight pounds of plot in a six pound bag. And that was something that I, you know, I sort of had to get past uh, in order to enjoy it. But in the end, I really did enjoy it. Um, is it the best work that uh, Chibnall's done in Doctor Who? I, I don't think so. I think that uh, series 12 was stronger and more balanced than this. You had pure episodic in series 11 and you had um <clears throat> this relentless six part thing that probably should have been an eight part thing just to give all, all of the elements more space to breathe in series 13. Uh series 12 for me hits the sweet, sweet spot. Uh you've got a you've got a story arc, but you've got individual episodes and you've got Moments like uh, the haunting of Vi- Vi- Villa Diodati—that is just one of my favorite Doctor Who episodes of all time. Um, but yeah, I I enjoyed Flux. I I like it when Doctor Who stretches itself farther than sanity and common sense would suggest. And this was just big. But you know, I'm I'm a longtime defender of the End of Time parts one and two. Um, so. Uh, if I can look past uh, really dumb stuff in that um, and and enjoy the, the the good stuff within, I can certainly do that for Flux. Uh, I
2: I fell into the trap of getting nitpicky, uh, especially once it was done. Like the immediate reaction to the finale was general disappointment and nick n- nitpickiness. If that is if I'm allowed to invent that. Um, But Brent saved me, uh, as he frequently does, by reminding me that we probably haven't had this much fun talking about Doctor Who as a fandom in years. Uh, Speculation, the general excitement, hesitation, uh, and and he's absolutely right. Uh, I just feel like I had conversations with multiple people on multiple topics, and I got a lot of different thoughts on what was happening. And in six short episodes, you know, expectations, hopes, <laughs> concerns. And I i don't think I had felt that engaged since Fugitive of the Jadoon uh, aired, and before that, Matt Smith. Um Maybe maybe some capaldi, and 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 that was really enjoyable for me um, to feel that connection with fandom again. And so, like for me, that's that as I'm trying to make that my takeaway um, because I'm really tired of just downer conversations about Doctor (laughs) Who. Yeah,
0: I mean, they happen. I mean, I've got some friends who are looking forward to the Gallifrey One convention, but are hoping to not talk about this season of Doctor Who at all you know they've, they've they, they literally cannot anymore with uh, with it and you know that's disappointing to me but understandable if it's not your thing we've always said that there's almost 60 years of Doctor Who and if it's not working for you now give it some time it will be again and obviously with Russell T Davis returning in 2023 you know that feels like forever right now but if you liked the original uh reboot um the the person who made it so good is coming back and that's that that's something that's something to look forward to
2: yeah absolutely brent you've had um some breathing room from it um are you still feeling about the same more less better worse
1: well just what you were saying about how uh it's the first time in a while that we've been so active um, Talking and discussing from for six weeks straight, um, maybe even longer. <laughs> afterwards, uh, talking about it, um, but it was exciting as it went. It just didn't it didn't end up like I thought it would. And uh, our friend Ian was I think he put it best. He said uh, it's like having some really beautiful puzzle pieces, and each piece looks great. It's a work of art. It's a great little pieces, but they don't all fit together. But hopefully, uh, you know, over the next year, over the next three specials, maybe, maybe he's got some more in store for us that'll, you know, link some of that together, give us a few more answers uh, to some hanging plot threads. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: we get
2: more Doctor Who in like two days. That's pretty That's exciting. True. I mean. Uh, I <laughs> I may have my reservations. I also have my excitement. Um, it looks but, like
1: a standalone, but, you know, we could be wrong.
2: Yeah, I, and that's the thing, too, is, is um, you know, after that episode, we have who knows how long before the next special, and we have plenty of time to have those conversations about our expectations and what we hope to see and what we hope not to see. Uh, and so we've got that going for us. In a sense, it's sort of like a... Um, a New Year's Day present. I will say this, uh, Christmas night, sitting there, hanging out with my family and my loved ones, even though it's outside, I really did miss the anticipation of everyone kind of going to bed early and me being able to jump online and watch another episode of Doctor Who. Um, I, I feel, I understand some of the reasoning for it, but I really would like Doctor Who back on Christmas. I There's something really fun about it, even if it is somewhat culturally exclusive um so
0: yeah i think uh tom dickinson of the uh the moment podcast uh said on social media that uh while while he understands that uh you know doctor who christmas episodes aren't a great thing for people who don't observe christmas um how did he put it um Maybe Doctor Who doesn't need Christmas episodes, but Christmas needs Doctor Who episodes.
2: (laughs) Yes, well done, well said, Tom. Uh, Yeah. Oh, now now I'm just looking forward to more moment episodes too. Um.
1: (laughs) So, Chip, um, when did you start podcasting, and what made you want to jump into this game? Uh, uh,
0: Shiny, happy spite is the uh, is is the old phrase. So, um, I. Started consuming podcasts uh, about probably about 15 years ago. Um, feeling really old now, um, and <laughs> and as I'd gotten into Doctor Who, I checked out all of the uh, all of the podcasts at the time, and the one that really stuck with me was Radio Free Um which uh, you know none of us are young anymore, uh, but. It, it, it separated itself out as uh, people who weren't so wrapped up in frustration that Doctor Who wasn't as much like the classic series as it as it was. You know, they looked at things freshly and they uh, were critical of fans who were just too hidebound. And things like that and it was fresh and i was and i really loved listening to it and then they started uh slamming episodes that i liked and they didn't <laughs> like journey's end and i was like oh wait what um and um and okay fine somebody's got to defend the stuff that i like i may as well do that and at the time the podcast ran for a good uh five six ten hours long at a stretch and um and I thought that the only way that I could get a word in edgewise was to literally keep it short. So I launched the two-minute time Lord podcast. Initially, I really tried to keep those essays um, to a strict two minutes, and that got too hard. So I just made it uh, I just, you know, it, it, it's approximate. Everything's approximate. And I've been doing it off and on. Um, since, uh, since 2010, I believe. Um, um, and I took a few breaks. I, uh, when work got heavy or, um, I was able to launch this week in time travel with Alyssa Frankie uh, before her political career, uh, took that in a, took the, uh, her attention away. Um, but I keep coming back to 2MTL because I love Doctor Who and I love talking about it. Um, I'm more sporadic about it than I would like to be um, because of just, again, work pressures and things like that. Um, And I just appreciate
2: people's patience for letting me blather on. I got to say, my appreciation for your format uh, has increased tenfold over the last year or so um, in that we've been trying to record instant responses to Flux and I I think season 12 as well, series 12 as well. Uh, and I try to keep my responses under two minutes just to see if I could do it. Uh, and it's difficult. <laughs> it essentially sounds like I'm running an auction, uh, but it's fun. And uh, I find that I don't have to, uh, I don't feel like I don't have to back up my my arguments quite as much knowing that I, <laughs> I have to do it in short. Get it in there, get what I have to say, and then I can just get out. Uh, so that's uh, to be able to say anything of note and of worth I- in two minutes is difficult. You do it well. Uh, so my I doff my cap to you, sir. <laughs> I, I appreciate you saying that.
0: The, the thing that I try to do is I don't try to review, if I'm doing a review episode, I don't try to review everything about the episode in the three to five minutes that I allow myself. There's one thing that if I see an episode and something speaks to me about that episode, I try to make the podcast about that one thing and not the whole, uh, and not the whole episode every once in a while, like uh, the conclusion or flux there, there can't really be one thing other than my God, there's so much. So, (laughs) so you, you take a little more time on that, but yeah, um, the, you know, have, have a take and, um, Have a take and only so much of a take that you can give it some ballast, give it some defending um, in that limited amount of time.
1: Well, uh, speaking of Doctor Who, how did you get into Doctor Who? What's your origin story? Um,
0: Well, like I intimated before, I am old. And my origin story involves PBS reruns. I traveled with a bunch of fellow nerds in high school and we would take science fiction wherever we could get it and sometimes the only place you could get it was on uh, Saturday afternoons on the local P- local PBS affiliate um, Peter Davison was my doctor uh, that was when I sort of uh, helicoptered in. Um, the Five Doctors was one of my first Uh, stories that i saw on pbs uh and you know so that that inducts you into the society of people who recognize that this uh artist this actor changes and the character uh regenerates and all that stuff um and then i put it away i missed the tv movie in the 90s and just remembered it um And then some of those same friends from high school on a private message board that we had uh, were just super excited about the announcement that it was coming back. And, oh, I remember that. And Doctor Who was better than I ever could have imagined. Um, I had, in the years prior to that, gotten into the American version of Queer as Folk, which is a series that was founded by Russell T. Davis in the British version Um, so I was already given a little hint of what his storytelling sensibilities would be. And I just sort of fully bought into everything that they were doing. Um, and, um, at the, at that time, the modern series was my favorite compared to the classic series. And now that I've been around for long enough to appreciate it. I've been around long enough to know that there have been multiple modern series, different showrunners, different uh, actors, different everything. You know, the modern series has been around long enough that it's been clearly an evolving thing, and it's just been wonderful to to ride that roller coaster.
2: I think I heard someone recently um, refer to uh, Eccleston as classic modern Doctor Who, and uh, you know, I think the show's been on for. F- Almost sixteen years now, and that's not inaccurate. That's that's pretty true, which is kind of mind boggling. But it does take a show like Doctor Who that had twenty six years uh, on on twenty six seasons uh, in its first iteration. I mean, it's kind of mind boggling to think of anything with a running narrative going on that long. In America, we kind of have the Simpsons, right? Like, I can't. really remember a time before the simpsons i'm certainly older than the simpsons but it's kind of like i haven't watched the simpsons in years and when i talk to fans who have been watching doctor who their entire lives i'm like how could you have stopped watching doctor who and they're like well isn't there something that you watched intensely at a certain age and then kind of faded away from and i'm like yeah i guess i guess that makes sense and you just kind of come back to it you do you have, I mean, you said Davison was your kind of first Doctor. Do you consider Davison to be your favorite of the classic Doctors? Do you have a favorite Doctor?
0: Uh, it's really tough to decide between him and Sylvester McCoy. Mm. Uh, those oh, cool. two Those two are my favorites. I didn't really hit it off with Tom Baker. Mm. Um, there was something sort of forbidding about him. And at the age I was at and having been introduced to the pleasant open face of um, right. of uh, Peter <laughs> Davison, you know, um, I think my favorite classic episode of them all, though, without hesitation, would be Remembrance of the Daleks, mm. which is Sylvester McCoy being manipulative and a basically... An action adventure Doctor Who thing on uh, it. It feels almost like American television, but it's still Doctor Who. You know, a lot of those sensibilities there. Um, so that's that's sort of my peak for Doctor Who. And because Remembrance of the Daleks is so atypical in a lot of ways, that I'm not. It do, it doesn't surprise me looking back that I was aware of and enjoyed doctor who classic but jumped in with both feet first um with such great enthusiasm when um when that music starts at the beginning of rose and just murray gold is just kicking tail
2: yeah um, Chip, you and I have been to a, a, quite a few conventions together, and I've always enjoyed how passionate you get when you talk about your science fiction. And I've heard you talk about a number of different franchises very passionately um, to the point where I, I was uh, – when we get to your, your selection, I'm surprised it wasn't something else. Um, I have a feeling is, I know which one you're thinking of. <laughs> sure. We also have also covered quite a few of the ones that I, I thought you probably would have gotten first dibs on, could had you had the opportunity. But um, what is it about Doctor Who that sets this show apart from other things that you and your friends were looking for and at at the time? You, you know, you, you clearly were looking for whatever you could find, but you know, Doctor Who grabbed your attention at some point in time. It disappeared. It came back. What is it about Doctor Who that that pulls you back? Uh, let me answer that first with a question. I, absolutely
0: were the two were either of you tabletop role playing gamers
2: no drew was <laughs> yeah i
0: was and still am yeah all right so i was a bit of a tabletop gamer and uh my friends that i did a lot of that with in high school we had an ongoing sort of campaign um that involved our characters jumping from reality to reality and um it was an excuse for us to play in different genres and play different games with uh variations of the same characters and doctor who scratches that very same itch i am not content to limit myself to one genre or to one style of storytelling I am insatiable. I want it all. And through through not only just the regeneration, but the fact that the TARDIS is a machine that travels through time, space, and almost an infinite number of genres, um, I am never bored with Doctor Who. It, um, The Simpsons is the Simpsons is the Simpsons. I have no interest in seeing the Simpsons because I have seen the Simpsons. Um, doctor Who always changes. Um, the showrunners move on. The actors move on. The sensibilities move on. You know, that classic modern Doctor, Peter Eccleston, and all the stories around him, you know, that's a, that's a completely different style of t- storytelling. I'm never bored with Doctor Who. And um, there's also the combination of the all of the fans... Because all of the fans have different tastes and different preferred doctors and different ships and different, um, you know, expectations. You have the most amazing conversations uh, in, in in the fandom. Um, when I go to a comic book convention, I'm there to buy stuff and to see a couple of guests. When I go to a Doctor Who convention, I'm there to see family It's a family reunion, and you're not surrounded by like-minded people. You're surrounded by extraordinarily different people who have this one thing in common. And Doctor Who, as a show, is the same way. Extraordinary variety of stories, one thing in common. One character that you latch on to, around which it all revolves, keeping it identifiable and familiar, but but the sky's the limit.
2: I love what you have to say about but the convention part of it, because you're absolutely right. You know, we go to these conventions, specifically Doctor Who conventions, and we all go to the same panel, and we're all having the conversation about whatever that panel topic is, and then we leave the panel. And generally, when we are hanging out, we're not talking about Doctor Who. I mean, it it, it filters back in and on the conversation, but it is, uh, it is family. It is, like, I... When I go to New York, I'm going to go see my Doctor Who family. Uh, it doesn't matter who the guests are; it matters <laughs> which of my friends are going to be there. And sometimes it doesn't even matter that because I know I can meet new people, uh, because we're always going to have that one or two things in common. Uh, sure, yeah. these conventions are fantastic. You know, you'll have newer fans who
0: arrive and are like, "Wait, what are looms?" And oh. <laughs> and, and having that uh, having that moment of their minds being blown about what older fans and the people in the who wrote the new adventures books were thinking about back in the day. And they're just sort of fizzing with new, with energy uh, coming up with uh, making connections and learning more about Dr. Who. And then there are the olds who have some of the same interests and some of the same enthusiasms, but are connecting with each other about the stuff beyond the show that, Help them, you know. the The show helped them find each other,
2: and then the family reunion proceeds. And the other thing too that I I find so fascinating about fandom, flat out as a as a a phenomenon, is that through the internet and through podcasting, it's so much easier to jump on board with a fandom and to find your people and find your tribe. Whereas I imagine, um, I only went to comic book conventions. Uh, up until Doctor Who, the new series came out, and I became a Doctor Who fan. I had never been to anything other than uh, uh, comic book conventions. And you're right. It's a very different animal. Um, But had I done so, I imagine it would have been really difficult to even know when it was going to happen without it happening on a regular basis, you know, like that annual convention. Uh, And and being able to find your your people now, people are, I know people who are like, oh, yeah, I found Doctor Who found one of your podcasts, started listening to that. Through that, you mentioned somebody else. I like this one podcaster, so I listened to every guest appearance they made on all those, nights, so I listened to 10 other podcasts. It's really amazing how prolific fandom integration into fandom can be now. I
0: owe Stephen, Warren, and Chris from Radio Free Scaro a lot, not just because they prompted me to do my own podcast— But because they talked up Gallifrey One so much uh, back in the day, back in the day when you could still get tickets for that convention months, months away after the (laughs) for sale date. um, um, They talked up the convention. I decided that I want to do this. I had never flown. I had never been anywhere further west than New Orleans. I'm really, really sheltered in here in North Carolina. Uh, and I'd said, no, I'm going to go to Los Angeles. And that was uh, the Gallifrey one in 2010. So yeah, I started the podcast in, in 2009 and I had my first galley in 2010. And I, but I wanted to learn to walk before I tried to run. So I went to my very first Doctor Who convention at Hurricane Who, the first Hurricane Who in Florida. And interviewed uh, personalities there, um, Toby Hay-Doke, uh Tony Lee, Jason Hay-Elleri from Big Finish, you know, getting my sea legs. Um, and, um, and I went there all by myself, didn't know a soul, and found my tribe, as you say.
1: One thousand years ago superstition and the sword ruled it was a time of darkness it was a world of fear it was the age of gargoyles stone by day warriors by night we were betrayed by the humans we had sworn to protect frozen in stone by a magic spell for a thousand years now here are the spell is broken, and we live again. We are defenders of the night. We are gargoyles.
2: Tribes and their fandom. Um, here's the thing. We, we talk about Doctor Who... As a, as a group, you know, us, the we and the not we. But we also know that when we have a, f- a guest on who is a, clearly a Doctor Who fan, we also know that Doctor Who is not the end-all and be-all of their fandom. There's there's other things that they love. Uh, and because we... Doctor Who is a television show, we like to talk about television shows, so we always ask our guest to bring on a non-Doctor Who television program to discuss with us. Who knows? Maybe this is the start of a, a fandom for one of our listeners. Chip, what show did you bring us and why did you choose this program?
0: Well, Brent Drew, I've got to say that 1000 years ago superstition and the sword ruled. It was a time of darkness. <laughs> it was a world of fear. It was the age of gargoyles. Oh man. Yeah, I I'm, I'm I'm bringing uh I'm bringing uh as my cup of my cup of tea as uh, an older podcast once put it um the disney uh, adventure series gargoyles which is currently on disney plus
2: yes it is all right why why choose gargoyles uh to discuss with us Okay, I am a sucker for serialized
0: storytelling, um, which is sort of the opposite of Doctor Who in many ways, uh, flux notwithstanding. You know, Doctor Who, very episodic. But I do like serialized stories that mean something. And uh, you probably expected that I wanted to drag out Babylon 5, Mm -hmm. um, uh, which is my other podcasting love, and I actually have a very lovely costume that a friend of mine made for it. Um, it's so cool. It's so op- cool. Um, other stories, um, you know, I was into anime a uh, fair bit and in the 80s, Robotech, talk about serialized storytelling. Um, I was also, weirdly enough, as a teenager into the first season of Michael Mann's Crime Story.
1: Oh, yeah. Which that's was,
0: good- yeah, it, it was really good. I, I don't think I ever saw the second season, but... Um, but sort of that soap opera-ish impulse really works for me in terms of the continuing narrative. Uh, if I'm insatiable in terms of Doctor Who for wanting all the genres, I am um, insatiable for serialized storytelling and wanting more detail, more, more, more. Gargoyles, um, especially its first two seasons, is a 65-episode series that doesn't so much have a beginning, middle, end, and end, as it continuously builds upon itself. Um, Stuff that happened a few episodes ago matter as you go along. Um, And it's written, it's by a creator, um, it was showrun, Is the term that we would use today, by a guy, Greg Wiseman, who deeply cared about the story um, and had a vision for it. And that is 65 episodes of storytelling that I, even though I was way too old for the Disney afternoon, it was a story that was made kind of for a family audience. They were actually trying to do drama with it and, um, and love it to bits. And I'm so glad that with it uh, coming to Disney Plus, that more people have the opportunity to, to discover it. And I'm
2: happy to evangelize it today. we're happy to talk to you about it.
1: Brent, were you a Gargoyles fan um, when it was first airing? From the beginning. I I used to watch it when it first came out, uh, the 90s, I think. Um, I think it came on every day during the week, um, weekdays. uh, But yeah, I really liked it. First off, I'm a Star Trek Next Generation fan, and pretty much the entire cast is on here, uh, either Mm -hmm. as a starring role or a guest role. And you've got Keith David, you've got Ed Asner, uh, Patrick from SpongeBob doing Broadway's voice. Um, and as we'll get into it in a little bit, there were some serious themes that popped up here, and I felt like it didn't treat its audience like children. You know, in other words, it didn't feel preachy or like it was talking down to anyone. Um, but it's a fun show. It's written very well, and. Um, You know, a a lot of animated shows kind of bore me, but this one never has. Um, And like you said, Chip, I I noticed it was on Disney Plus last year, and I was like, yeah! So about a year ago, I I started rewatching it on my own. So I was really excited to hear that you wanted to talk about it. Chip, was this um, uh, appointment television for you when it
2: first started coming out? Or did you catch it on the reruns? I was a little too
0: old for it to be appointment television, but when it started airing in syndication, um, or maybe not syndication, but on certain cable channels that were airing the reruns, you better believe I set my VCR so that I could collect all of the episodes. And I had to go onto the internet because they'd air them out of order. So I had to label the VHS tapes very, very carefully to ensure that I, uh, got them all and watched the story, uh, sequentially. Um, you know, I'm a kid at heart. Um, I'm not the target demographic for Batman the Animated Series or Gargoyles or X-Men. Or, you know, those shows that were all sort of airing at around the same time. I was too old for them, technically. But they, the show creators had the room to appeal to both the kids and the older fan audiences... Um this was while Saturday morning and afternoon cartoons were still a thing uh, before the um, before the industry sort of collapsed on them. But shows like those, and also Jay Michael Straczynski's The Real Ghostbusters, you know,, uh, yes, we've got to entertain the kids, but we're going to entertain ourselves while we write and storyboard these uh, cartoons and if we get older audiences along for the ride so much for the better
2: absolutely yeah um this is one of those programs that i did not watch i didn't watch it until you know two weeks ago but it was always recommended to me it was one of those shows where People whose opinions I respected on any form of media would always go, you haven't watched this. Well, you have to, and you have to start from the beginning. You can't just jump into Gargoyles. And I'm like, that's like telling me I have to start watching Doctor Who. There's like 26 (laughs) seasons of the show. I don't know. Maybe I'll just wait a little while. And it's one of those things where when Disney Plus was first announced and it was announced, what kind of slate of shows would become available, this is the thing that everyone was excited about. It wasn't that we were going to get access to the, you know, the opening up the Disney Vault. It was Gargoyles was going to be available. Also, the X-Men The Animated Series. I think those are the two things that I remember everyone saying, like, this is the thing that we're waiting for. We have had the opportunity to talk about X-Men The Animated Series earlier this year. I'm super thrilled to be able to talk about Gargoyles because I... You know, I was like, okay. I, I One of the things I normally ask is for two or three episodes that you think are worth recommending. And I didn't ask that. Um, I realized that now that I didn't ask it. And I, I asked the internet instead. If I only had to watch two or three episodes, what would I watch? And I got like, these are the ten lists, um, stories of gargoyles you have to you have to watch. Epis- uh, story number one, all of season one. So, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, clearly I have to t- do this right. And so I started with... The first episode, I'm thinking, maybe I'll watch two episodes uh, a night, maybe five or six a week, kind of a thing. And in the first day, I watched eight episodes. Um, <laughs> I just sat down and went, boom, don't need to watch that. You know, the opening credits, boom, short 20 minutes. And I got to episode eight, uh, in which uh, we're going to spoil a little bit of the, one of the characters shoots the other one near fatally. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> was not expecting it no one prepared me no one warned me for this uh and i took a break for a couple of days just to think about what that must have been like for children who this show was targeted at um in 1993 uh and yeah i was blown away by this especially the first season which i you know, look behind the curtain. That's essentially what I've watched. I've watched a couple of episodes that people have recommended in the later seasons. And as I'm watching them, I'm realizing I'm not appreciating them. I'm just going what the internet says you have to watch these. And I'm like, I don't know the backstory. The previous Leons don't cover it enough, and so I just stopped. So I, I it's one of those shows where I know I'm going to watch all three seasons. I just need to do it, f- do my due diligence, and watch them just straight through.
0: Well, uh, I'm gonna, sh- I'm gonna. Uh... Uh, show my priors here uh the third season is not ideal it's uh it, the show creator greg Wiseman was not involved in it and it's just it's just sort of disney corporate um as opposed to uh more singular storytelling um i do want to talk a little bit about what makes this show good thing you know a bit of the a, a bit of the evangelization for your listeners um so it is an ad- action adventure story, um, along about at about the same level as your Batman animated series and stuff like that. It was Disney's first real foray into that, and the premise premises, uh, as I went through the uh, opening bit of the monologue, Scottish gargoyles from the late uh, t- from the late eighth uh, t- century, eighth, tenth. 10th from the late 10th century um who transform into stone statues by daylight but uh move around at night um a magic spell immobilizes them for a thousand years um and they come alive again in manhattan and there is magic there's a bit of uh science fiction superheroic uh stuff um there are um, just a, a, a lot of other genres. here's a bit of the Doctor Who connection that um, play with the series. But it's basically uh, it's basically an adventure series about ancient Celtic magical creatures making their way in modern day Manhattan. And modern day Manhattan is very much a character in its own right in the story. Um, there's an episode that takes place in the Cloisters, and a few years ago, I visited New York, and I visited the Cloisters. Um, there's a scene in that opening five-episode miniseries, there's a chase through Central Park, and all of the landscape and uh, stuff in Central Park is there, it's part of the story. Um, um did I go to Central Park just so I could say that I'd seen some gargoyle sights? I'm afraid I did. Uh, <laughs> that's not great, Bob, but, um, but, um, and it takes the, it takes the character seriously. Um, there are very few stinker episodes. Um, and every once in a while it does something really profound. You mentioned an episode that is very much a gun violence, um, Uh, story that must have been um, a a challenge for kids to watch it's it's it is just scary enough without being gory or gratuitous but it's not like um, a G.I. Joe episode or a He-Man episode where there's a moral of the story at the end you know they 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 tell the story of gun safety and gun violence in that episode. There's another episode in that series about literacy, um, um, that uh, that is really meaningful. Where one of the older gargoyle characters cannot read and has the opportunity to learn, and what makes that meaningful. Um, I just
1: saw that one today. Yeah,
0: um, it's so um, it's 65 episodes and then a third season, but 65 episodes of. Uh, really committed storytelling, uh, to telling the story. And it's a lot of fun because you've got gargoyles, uh, swooping after robots and, uh, going on, um, going on mystical voyages to Avalon and encountering various mythologies, characters, um, from Odin to Anansi all show up at one point or another. It's, uh, it, it, it's really fantastic. And then you get the space aliens that look like the statues from Easter Island. And you go, well, they can't all be winners. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, like you said, there's a lot of genre mixing in this episode and or just in this series. And one of the things that struck me as I was watching it just today is when I was watching it, it just felt like very 90s to me. You know, uh, uh, goatees and ponytails. Like one of the main characters is a goatee and ponytail and trench coat. Like everyone's got trench coats if they can. Um, big shoulders. It the fashion sense is very uh, early '90s. But the if you were to ask if I were to ask you what the aesthetic of the show is, or you were to ask me, I don't think I could pinpoint one aspect of it. You know, you compared it to the animated Batman the animated series and I think it's a, a fair assumption because that's a very mature story that is being told on a, a series that is a, essentially targeted for kids that has violence that has bloodshed but also has real serious storylines to going through it but Batman has it's very much a look and it's and that look is noir with dirigibles right like that that, that right. kind of pulp 20s aesthetic. It's not steampunk, it's diesel punk, right? That sort of big engine blocks and, and dark and things are spewing spo- smoke. Um, but gargoyles, I don't know what to call it. I was thinking of calling it Avalon. Like there's a sort of um, the higher you go in elevation, the more you took utopia like it gets like their original castle is on this sort of glass spire with spotlights and it's a mix of the old and it's the new and there's there's sort of a futuristic aspect to it but then uh detective maza drives uh, like a 57 chevy um with with fins and it's that's very stylized but it no one else drives the same thing it's sort of a, a mishmash but it has a kind of gleaming hope for the future moving out, and I don't know, do you have a way of describing it aesthetically that is less rambling than what I just said?
0: Yeah, um, I'm not sure that I do, but I'd say that the closest comparison that I would make to it, not so much in, like, the technological aesthetic, but in sort of the animation style, um, and it's a daily, it's a, it's a daily strip to, cartoons so the animation quality doesn't quite measure up to what I'm about to suggest. But if you look at the sequences in Beauty and the Beast and The Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh those Disney movies, those sequences in those movies that revolve mostly around the humans. You know, Gaston leading the village against the Beast's castle. Um, the court of miracles and, um, and, and, uh, the, and the, uh, Roma people, uh, putting, um, Phoebus and Quasimodo on trial, you know. Those are the moments in those movies when Disney doesn't feel so Disney. It's not about the mm. hunchback, it's not about the hunchback of Notre Dame's gargoyles, um, or about, uh, Lumiere and Cogsworth in Beauty and the Beast, it's about the people Um, you know it's about uh, Judge Claude Frollo in Hunchback you know, Um, there are villainous figures and then there are human figures and um, you know So, so a more urban kind of aesthetic, a more realistic kind of aesthetic but not so realistic that you don't have the
2: fluid, expressive characters that are a Disney hallmark. It's an interesting way of describing it. I, I, I'm I, realizing now that I don't think I've actually watched The Hunchback of Notre Dame, that the Disney version of that. I'm, I am familiar with Beauty and the Beast. But again, that, both of those films and this movie, which all came out around the same time, is during the time where I probably would have skipped all of them and been like, no... It's Disney. I'm not. I'm a Warner Brothers guy. I guess maybe. Um, it's definitely. Uh, um, it, it's sort of a, a, a skip in my knowledge, um, especially with animation.
0: Yeah, and that makes Gargoyles a, sort of an odd duck. Um, mm-hmm. Disney. Disney tried to do action adventure. Right. And in the end, that's not where Disney's bread and butter mm. is. You know, um, and there i think uh, greg weisman wanted to make this the sort of the foundation of being able to compete with uh you know warner brothers and batman and their plans to expand to superman and other characters and things like that you know we could have an action adventure uh uh franchise of our own we could start here and spin out some of these characters you know some of the episodes of gargoyles very much are clearly intended to spin off uh future characters um and uh and it didn't quite work out and there were efforts to make a movie about gargoyles there was talk of a live action one starring jean-claude van damme (laughs)
2: uh
0: you know we dodged we dodged a bullet it didn't happen it didn't happen you know a lot of my favorite a lot of my favorite properties um as a as a kid are the are the ones that are so serialized that they become niche and mm. the and 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 that the, the the people who are willing to go and see how how many layers the onions have the onion has um you know the gargoyles is that babylon 5 is that the you know babylon 5 was never a big hit but it was a it was an influential cult masterpiece that created, uh, you know, serialized storytelling. You know, there, there's a lot of Babylon Five DNA in Battlestar Galactica, um, sure, yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> um, um, Gargoyles was, I would argue, almost too beautiful to exist, and it was ultimately not a uh, good fit for, uh, for, for Disney. But especially with those first two seasons, you know, Mm. you get from episode one to episode 65, you get something that's really, really satisfying. You don't have to watch them all. You can you can you can stop with episode 13 and you'll be perfectly happy. They're all there on Disney Plus when you have the time and if you want
2: them. Yeah, that first season, uh, the end of that first season um, is
1: is pretty awesome. Let's talk about characters for a minute. To me this is one of the few um, animated series where it's like an ensemble cast and I, so personally I don't really have a favorite character I, I like every one of them I, I think it's I know it's a horribly boring and diplomatic answer but it's it's true not that uh, <laughs> there's not one that stands out way above the others to me it's it's really a team uh, so having said that uh, what is your favorite character? Um, Elisa Maza is my favorite character,
0: uh, the human detective who, uh, discovers the gargoyles, um, um, beauty to Goliath's beast, uh, and, uh, there's, there's a literal, there's a literal costume moment, there's a costume party when, uh, they are wearing Beauty and the Beast costumes during a Halloween episode, because Halloween is the one time when all the girl, when all the gargoyles can get out and, and, uh, be openly seen, um, but I know that the strong female character trope is really overused, uh, but um, this was a character who had agency and strength um, and autonomy. Um, this was not April O'Neil on the old uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. Um, this was a hero in her own right. Um, and and uh, just loads of fun um there's a lot of there's a lot of diversity in the show even though most of the main characters are gargoyles um but uh elisa mazza is mixed race uh native american and african american and um um she and her family are huge parts of the story um her her Things happen to her brother that become um, very significant down the line, um, and uh, just just uh, she, she's, she's just a delightful character um, and really important. Without her, the series would not be as good because
2: it you've got to have that grounding character. I'm so glad that you brought up the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles um, with that because it's clear that I, I started watching it and I went. Oh Disney, I see what you did there. It's it's clear that that was the model they were going off of because you want to have a team, um, and I was think I went in thinking oh, she's going to be the April, because you've got um, Hudson is the Splinter, you know the older the older statesman who still has something to teach them. Uh, <clears throat> Goliath is the Leonardo. Uh, Brooklyn is the sort of the Raphael. Um, Broadway is. Um, the Michelangelo kind of not quite the party dude, but definitely the infants on, on fun and food. Uh, and then Lexington is the Donatello, like the, the gadget guy. And I'm like, okay, breaking it down by characters and, and, uh, archetypes. Uh, she's going to be this, this, and this. And I was wrong. I was so wrong. And, and as I was like every episode going in, I, I realized how much cooler she was <laughs> and more engaging her story is. The fact that we have a woman of color um, in the cartoon who is a main character and has as much agency as she, she does for that time period kind of blew my mind. And then we get to meet her, the police chief, who we—in the, in the episodes I've seen, we barely see, but there's another woman. And I was like, what is— what is going- This is made in the nineties, right? Like I, you know, checking checking the box to find out what it was made. Love it, absolutely love it. And I, I absolutely agree. I think, I, I think, um, uh, Maza is definitely my favorite as well. Um, it was really cool to see, and they were they're bringing in characters into her life who were not gargoyles in the first season. That I'm like, how this is how she's going to be it's not just her and them. Like she has a life outside of this group um, that I thought was really cool. Like once they introduced the family, I'm like, I'm so interested in what's going on with the family dynamics. Um, yeah. Very cool. How about you, Brent?
1: Well, I, I'm in season two now. Um, mm-hmm. I'm Like I said, I'm rewatching it um, from time to time. And I, I like that um, the episodes that I'm watching now are about Elise's brother. Where he's, you know, working for Xanatos and now has been turned into a creature so far. Um, I'm interested to see how that plays out (laughs) because I don't remember much about the stories, only that I really liked the show back then. But, uh, yeah, so it's all new to me because I haven't seen it in 20, 30 years. So, uh, yeah, like I said, it's, it's very engaging. They have story arcs. They have multiple arcs. And they deal with one arc for about a week or two, and then they jump into another one that they're continuing, and then back to a previous one. It's kind of like real life because you've got more than one storyline going on in your life right now, and they all sort of pop up at different times and continue on.
0: Yeah, I've got one other favorite character, and that's Owen Burnett. And there are layers to Owen Burnett. There, yeah, and, and, and I will say no. I will say no. I will say no more than that. Um, I want I to spare, spare you the spoil if you haven't been spoiled already that Drew it but I, I w- watch, I watch Owen closely.
2: But this is this is uh Xanatos's assistant, right? Yep. Oh so okay. I watched I, I and I would have thrown out the him as my favorite character, uh except that I just hadn't felt like we've seen enough of him. But it's like, okay, he's uh he's the Smithers. Um, sort of a character, you know. He's he's yet the, the yes man, and then um, at some point in time, Hudson comes in to steal the book, and uh, he's like, I'm, "We're just gonna take it." And he's like, "I'm not gonna let you do that." And he's like, "Are you gonna stop me?" And he throws him, like flips him, and like gets into a martial arts pose. And I'm like, "Oh, there is more to this character, and and hopefully there is even yet still more to this character, which I'm I'm looking forward to." So thank you for not spoiling it. Um, you're, uh, you're
0: very welcome. I look forward to your text when you understand
2: what I was telling you. <laughs> cool. Okay, yes. <laughs> oh, see, I love character surprises, and I love when um, writers do exactly what I'm not expecting them to do. You know, here I am comparing the Gargoyles to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I know that's that's reductive um, of me, but when I look at this, I understand that this is how we market things to youth when we see ourselves. Like, when I look at the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I have a favorite mutant turtle. It's Donatello, Um because he's the science nerd, and that's who I was, and I saw something of myself in that character. So I had more Donatello toys than I had other characters. Um I played Donatello in the video games kind of a thing. And so I'm looking for that kind of connection with gargoyles and it's not really the same because the characters are more complex i also want to point out because brent you mentioned the amazing voice cast um i didn't know that keith david was going to be the voice of goliath until he started talking and i got you should have seen the look on my face i was so happy (laughs) because john carpenter's the thing is one of is my favorite movie and i love keith david i love his voice and just like I get an entire series of listening to Keith David as a as a, a a hulking character. Love it. Done. More please. Uh, yeah, I ate it. I ate it right up. This has been awesome. Uh, I I just wondering before I just kind of ramble on about how much I'm enjoying it so far. Is there anything else you want to say about about it, Chip? Before we we move on to our next subject. I just think that um as a
0: person who was into the comics of the 80s and the 90s you know this was the this was the storytelling that really brought me to that place you know even batman the animated series as fantastic as it was it wasn't a continuing ne- narrative it was just as episodic um i really do recommend that if you're at all curious about the show uh, give the opening five part uh, miniseries uh, I spin on Disney Plus and see what you think. See what you think about the, the direction some of the characters go in. Um, they're fully realized characters with personal philosophies and a culture all of their own and a writing team that understands that and plays with it. Um, it's heady, heady stuff for a cartoon that was nominally aimed at kids back in the 90s. For something part of the Disney afternoon, it's so much more.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll echo that sentiment. Definitely give the first five a shot. And I think if you like the first five, definitely give that that first season. It's only 13 episodes. doesn't take up that much of your time. Um, and it it ends at a point where if you decide that you don't don't need to watch anymore, you've got itself a really great story. But I... I dare you to not want to watch more after that 13th, the way the 13th episode ends. Because I went in and I just started cheering. I was like, "Uh, more please now. Thank you.
0: And absolutely no shortage of Star Trek The Next Generation voice actors. Absolutely.
1: I I watched the one today with uh, with the elves. And I'm pretty sure that was Brent Spiner in there. I haven't seen the list yet, but it sounded like him.
2: I haven't heard the one with Brent Spiner. I haven't heard Patrick Stewart. I don't know if they show up. And I don't want you to tell me if they do, because if they do, I want, it, I want <laughs> to be absolutely surprised um, by that. Now, this is delightful. Um, I, as much as I was enjoying the show already, listening to you talk about it, Chip, has made me want to continue watching. And I probably will do that once we, we finish up with this episode. Speaking of finishing up, we should probably go ahead and do that. Before we let you go, Chip, uh, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, where can people find you on the internet?
0: Um, I'm at numeral two minute time lord, and my podcast lives at t w o minute time lord spelled out because uh, .com because I did not think very clearly uh, twelve years ago. Um, so I do the two minute time lord podcast less often than I would like, but I'm trying to ramp that up. Uh, my current labor of love, however, is the podcast A Legitimate Salvage about The Expanse, which I'm doing with Katie Burt from Den of Geek, Jen Burt, and Warren Fry from Radio Free Scarrow. And uh, we're uh, covering all of the episodes of the last season of The Expanse.
2: Brilliant. Uh, and that's just...
0: That's on the Incomparable Podcast no- Network
2: at com slash salvage. All right. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us yeah you've definitely got me very psyched for for going back and watching some more gargoyles my work here is done then (laughs) (laughs) and thank you for joining us at who and company who and company come for the fandom stay for the company thanks for joining us at who and company special shout out to pixel who for providing our logo they can be found at facebook.com slash pixel who who and company can be found on iheartradio.com and spotify Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show on patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month.